Our text for meditation this eighth Sunday after Trinity is on our Gospel reading. Hear the word of our Lord. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were a wolf, I would want to eat sheep. But if I thought myself to be a smart wolf, I would want to get away with eating the sheep. So I would dress myself up as a sheep so they could not tell that I am a wolf. Now this isn't really smart of me because the shepherd will be able to see right through my disguise. But maybe I could get away with taking a few sheep before he gets to me. I'll try to ignore the shepherd though because my real goal is to take away some sheep. So I will want a disguise, won't I? I'll dress myself up in wool and wear a mask, and they won't know the difference. But maybe, just maybe, the sheep will be taught to be on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing. The shepherd may have alerted them to false sheep at some point, so a costume is not enough. I will have to come up with a lie to get the sheep to believe it, so that they believe my disguise and do not question me. So if I were a wolf, I would try to eat sheep. And this means I will have to look like a sheep to do it. But I will also tell the sheep that someone else is a wolf in sheep's clothing. The best way to do this is to point my finger at some real sheep and accuse them of being wolves. The shepherd said, look at their fruit, I'll say. And look at all the bad fruit this one has. Oh man, he's bearing so much bad fruit, I can tell. And then I'll have the sheep cast out one of their brethren while quietly taking away their children for my dinner. The best part? They never even learned what good fruit is, and they never even asked. Beloved, it is no surprise that there are 
false teachers in the pastorate. Our Lord calls them false prophets, but the pastor today occupies the office of prophet. A prophet is a spokesman for God, and if he teaches falsely, he is a false prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when God has not spoken. But these false teachers do not want you to know what they are up to, do they? And they are aware that our Lord has taught the laity to examine their fruit. So what do they do to keep up the ruse? How do they try to dodge the accusation that they are wolves and not sheep, false prophets and not true prophets? It's simple, really. All they had to do was give the laity the wrong definition of fruit, and behold, everyone was off to the races to persecute good pastors, engaging in quote-unquote fruit-checking struggle sessions and witch hunts to find bad fruit. Even more sinister, these false teachers figured out that if they gave a bad definition, whether directly or by insinuation, they could call attention to pastors who were calling them out and getting them canceled for supposed bad fruit. Thus far, it has worked incredibly well for them, and they have continued to fly under the radar. And I'm not talking about open false teachers. Few people need someone to tell them that Jim Baker is not an orthodox theologian. Few people need an expert in the field to tell them that Joseph Smith was a false prophet and a wolf. Those men had terrible, shoddy sheep costumes that almost everyone could see right through. Now these are more sinister types, who drape themselves in a cloak of orthodoxy, subtly eisegeting texts and redefining words to get the meaning they want out of scripture, and warping the faith until it is unrecognizable. And they appear conservative. They might even pretend to be discerners who can cast away false teaching. Now, how did they do it? What did they say? Well, it was this easy. Their first tactic was to teach us all that fruit meant works. Good fruit is good works. Bad fruit is bad works. That's all it was. And it appears to make sense, doesn't it? After all, our Lord says in another parable, the parable of the sower, that the believer bears fruit. And he says it in such a way that we can interpret fruit being sanctification, good deeds, evangelism, and so forth in Matthew 13. So if fruit here is interpreted the same way, then we should expect pastors and theologians to have good works, sterling lives, no sin problems, and etc. If by good fruit we mean good lives filled with good deeds, then every pastor who falls into sin was a wolf all along and would rightly be cast out from among us. 
Here's the problem with that. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. If some pastor out there sins, and you think this is, oh, just a terrible thing, and we need to kick him out because pastors are now apparently supposed to be sinless, examine yourself and ask if you have sinned. Are you more qualified to be a pastor than that man up there on the pulpit? For that matter, if you think he isn't sinning, but he's just not bearing any good fruit in the congregation, then please enlighten us on why you think you are more productive, holy, and deserving than him. Let me rephrase. Because we are all sinners, and we never do as much good as we ought, then interpreting good fruit as good works and bad fruit as bad works means that the office of pastor should be abolished because no one can fill it. Go ahead. Tell us that you want the ministerial office wiped off the face of the earth. The second problem with that is that Christ tells us here that the bad trees which do not produce good fruit are all burned. From this fact alone, any teacher telling you that fruit means works here is denying that we are justified by faith alone. They are saying that, oh my, a pastor could believe in Jesus all he wants, but if he has some sins, then he's destined for hell. They are teaching, at the very least, that clergy are justified by their works, not by their faith. But we know and understand that what's true for the clergy is true for us, and by this bad faith interpretation, these false teachers damn just about everyone while teaching them to trust in their fruit for salvation. I seriously doubt that our Savior would negate his own atoning sacrifice in this way. Last, but certainly not least, this interpretation destroys any hope of unity in the body of Christ. Our congregational life becomes a slander fest of reviling accusations. All grace between believers is lost, and we forget the words of St. James, that our interior conflicts come primarily from our flesh rather than our discernment. We backbite and destroy one another whenever some rumor gets out about pastoral conduct, and thus we destroy the church through schism, all because we want to get one over on that guy in the clerical collar. This is not to say that a pastor is unaccountable regarding his good conduct. If he sins, he should repent of his sin and undergo some process of restoration. But rather it is to say that the category of wolf, with the attendant cry of disqualified, is inappropriate for this text. And seeing it this way, with fruit being works, has ripped us apart while the real wolves carry off believers to the slaughter. The truth of the matter 
is that the fruits spoken of here are teachings. We cannot separate the teaching on fruits from Christ's initial condemnation of false prophets or false teachers. A good teacher teaches good things, the pure word of God handled rightly. Certainly he is still human, and he might get something wrong every now and then, but he will repent of it when called to and resume producing good teaching. A false teacher, a wolf, will not teach God's word rightly. To the contrary, he will actively teach false doctrine so that he can slaughter the faith of the sheep. Oh, that everyone in the church would recognize this. Then we would see a great shaking of the whole body of Christ, and these wicked prophets would find themselves falling out like leaves from a dead tree. We would hold our pastors accountable for their behavior, of course, but we would not destroy them over a missing dollar bill in the collection plate or saying a naughty word. More important to us would be their teaching, their doctrine, the solid spiritual food that is supposed to nourish us. We could ask whether we are being fed nutritious food or poison and act accordingly. In other words, we would be asking the right questions. You see, beloved, it is this very thing that our Lord Christ brings up in the 22nd verse. The false believers will look at our king at his arrival and they will point to their works as though that would save them. And thanks be to God that our Lord says, I never knew you. Thank God Almighty that he does not say, I know your works, but there is a sin there, so you bear bad fruit and now you will burn. The issue is knowing, owning, and having a familiar relationship with our Lord. For our salvation, that relationship is properly Christ as the Savior and us as the ones depending on him to be saved. The thing that damns these false followers is that they do not have this faith relationship with our Savior. They never cared about Christ one whit, always looking inward and patting themselves on the back for buying a ticket to heaven. The issue of whether we are saved is about our faith, beloved. Even when our Lord mentions doing the will of our Heavenly Father, later on he reveals that the work of God is to believe in the Lord Jesus. John 6 verse 29. How do you know that Christ knows you? If you believe in the gospel and trust in Christ for your salvation, if you say to our Lord, I am yours, save me, he sees your faith. And the atoning blood of our Lord Jesus is upon you to forgive your sins and cleanse you. Now, right now, these days, the wolves seem to rule the roost, don't they? It seems to me they get away with whatever they want. They cast people out whenever people stand up to them. 
and they've pulled another trick in recent years to claim that they are so orthodox, so pure, that how dare you even bring some sort of reviling accusation against them. Our Lord Jesus tells you to be on the lookout, and these wolves say, How dare you be on the lookout? How dare you? Don't you know we have a commission on theology to do this job for you? Don't you know that the pastor is God's anointed over the congregation? Who do you think you are? to bring up some sort of accusation concerning my doctrine. Of course, they've done this. They love to organize and make sure that their sheep slaughtering business is booming. But our Lord Christ promises us here that one day these wolves will be judged. Their duplicity shall not stand. But for the sheep, the answer is not to go on a witch hunt. Does a sheep fight wolves and win? Of course not. The sheep is better off marking and avoiding the false teacher, the false prophet, the wolf in sheep's clothing, recognizing them for who they are and saying, I cannot be with you. Goodbye. The sheep does well to warn other real sheep about this wolf. To say, we cannot go with this one. Let us find a better teacher. Let us go to safety so our shepherd can protect us. Let Christ judge the wolves. Let our shepherd take care of that problem. And in the meantime... If your church teaches false doctrine, if your pastor hates you, if all sorts of nasty sheep-slaughtering things are going on, there is nothing wrong and everything right with saying, I'm going to leave for greener pastures. I'm going to bring other faithful Christians with me. Prayerfully, with real discernment, with advice and good counsel, certainly, But we have the right, as those called to evaluate those prophets, to say, it's time for us to leave. Now this includes me. I am a pastor. I am a man called to teach the word and to preach it. If I should say something that is wrong, please call me out. Please Get in touch with me if you find something disagreeable and let us talk about it. I'm no pope. I'm not infallible. I don't want to be a wolf, and I am terrified of this knowing that teachers receive a stricter judgment. Hold me accountable for the words that I say. And if I am wrong, I am happy to repent. If it turns out that I am right, I want to respond with clarity and compassion because I am accountable to everybody in the Catacomb Synod to teach rightly. Please help me in this and call me out, preferably privately, should I be saying something wrong. Perhaps I made a mistake. 
And that way, we can walk together knowing that there are, hopefully, no wolves in our midst. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.